Hola, mi gente. We're here. Welcome to the Latinas in the Burbs podcast. This is Gabby. And Michelle. And we are going to be having a conversation today that um, could resonate with some of you moms. It's going to be about Michelle, her child, and autism. So in our last podcast, if you listened in, um, Michelle was able to, was mentioned to us that her child is actually autistic. So I wanted to explore a little bit more of that topic and pick her brain on how that experience is for her, has been for her and just give you all a taste of that. So let's start, Michelle. So our journey with my son started just before he was turning two. He wasn't speaking, he didn't have enough words. Um, my mom is, had worked in a school with a lot of children that had special needs, so she was also concerned that he didn't have what the standard is. They're supposed to have about 50 words by the time they turn two. And they don't actually have to be actual words. They're just like, if they have a sound that they identify an object with, that counts as a word, even mm. if it's not a legit word. Okay. But he was not doing any of that. He didn't have expressive language, so she was concerned. And when we moved and we took him to his pediatrician, she too was concerned because she was also seeing a bit of a delay there. Okay. And so she recommends that we wait until he have his next appointment, which is a two-year visit, and uh, see if there's been any improvement. And then if not, start having that conversation about having him evaluated. So sure enough, two-year visit comes and there's so no change. So this was at the one-year visit that the no. concern started, or at before? 18 months. Okay, so just a few like right because when you're that when they're that little they're They're, going they're constantly going every few months or whatever to get to make sure that they're meeting all their milestones and so on and so forth so she had expressed concerned because she wasn't seeing in addition to the fact that he didn't have he didn't have the words Uh she wasn't seeing expressive speech and which is like um he wasn't giving the eye contact which was a concern for all of us but expressive speech would be like um if he wasn't understanding either, like if she said, give me, give me the cup. Yeah. He wouldn't give me the cup. He wouldn't, he was just not even acknowledging that you're even talking to him. Okay. He's in his own world, like not even paying attention. Um, anyway, so when we went for the next visit, the two-year visit, he, so hold on. I just want to rewind a little bit because I think what's really important also is to learn like how that was for you mm-hmm. as a mom to be seeing your child not progressing or so i was concerned Mm -hmm. because he had hit all of his milestones early oh okay. and so this was the first thing that was not on time Mm -hmm. but they do say that with boys boys tend their language tends to come later um they tend to do things certain things later so it could be attributed to that i didn't know Mm. if it was the fact that it was because he was a male that perhaps his language might develop later. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's two languages spoken in the house, some people believe that that can also cause a bit of a delay as well because they're learning or they're trying to adapt to two different languages. So I didn't know if that was the issue as well, even though like I, I was speaking to him in both Spanish and English. So there were other factors that I felt could be a reason for the delay, mm-hmm. but I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So when the doctor was confirming that she was concerned too because there were other things that she was expecting to see from him and not seeing so 
when we went for the two-year visit, there was no change. The language was still exactly where it was two months prior. So she recommended that we have him evaluated. I mentioned it to my husband and he, who had gone back and forth at times, he was concerned that his language wasn't coming and that he wasn't giving eye contact. That was something he definitely honed in on a lot. Like there's some, he's not giving good eye contact, not giving good eye contact. But when I told him that the doctor recommended that we have him evaluated, he was like very defensive, like, no, it's just a delay. Like, mm-hmm. why would we, why would we do all this, that, and the third? Anyway, I like ignored he his almost concerns. Couldn't, like he almost couldn't accept it yeah. at that, like mentally accept that that could be the case. Yeah, I and I, I heard what he had to say, but I ignored it because I'm gonna go with the voice of reason and the voice of the person mm-hmm. that he knows, and this is the area of expertise. I had my mom who was already expressing concerned and now a doctor i'm going to take their opinion over someone who just doesn't know anything right. about the subject matter so i went and i had but were you like distraught like i feel like no for moms out there or just from my personal journey i think like that's like one of the things that you're like i remember my son actually was like when he started saying his words he would stutter mm-hmm. and he, or he would like repeat the word and try to keep repeating the word and i was like oh my god in the back of my head, I was like, is that a sign that he might be autistic or like that he might have some, that he might have some sort of delay or so just, you know, I feel like as a mom for that first year, you're constantly, that's a worry and you're constantly looking out for like maybe little signs or like, and so I just feel like for me, I would have been completely destroyed. It's one of the things that you almost like fear a little bit that that could be the case. So how, how was it so for you? In the beginning, first of all, it, I didn't know what was going on. I knew that there was a delay, and we didn't know what was the root of the delay, right? right. And there's so many reasons. Could it be something environmental that's causing the delay, mm-hmm. or could it be something internal in him that's uh, that's not allowing him to process and get the and develop in the right um, and hit those milestones as he's supposed right. to? So I didn't know. And at the time, I wasn't thinking like, oh, there, then there has to be something wrong with him. I was just like, okay, let's have him evaluated. Right. Like, so we had him evaluated, and they were. All of the folks that did the evaluations were like, yeah, he's, you know, he's very smart. He, we definitely see, like, but there is, there is something a little off. We definitely do recommend that he receive services. This is early intervention services. Okay. So early intervention comes into part. Um, you get, you can get early intervention services until they turn, um, three. Okay. And then at that point, they have would have to be reevaluated to see if they, the services get. If they still require the services, and if they have to be trans, if so, they have to be transferred over to the district. And who is this like person you're talking to to tell so, you that you're getting you and you're gonna need services? So when it came time for the evaluation, we had to pick a company. There's a few different groups that do the evaluations. Okay. Um. Ironically enough, I had gone to a birthday party like the weekend, a weekend beforehand. And I had met this woman that worked for a company, and she mm-hmm. worked with children that were in grade school. Mm. And she worked for a specific company, and that's what they do. They do the evaluations, and they place the therapist, and that's what they do. And it was one of the one of the like listed school or one of the listed programs that I was told. How crazy is that? Is that so? You so, went to a birthday party, exactly. and in the party, one of the attendees happens to work for one of these companies, and you just got to speaking to her. Yeah, how did you even find I that out? I don't remember how the conversation even started, but 
the end of the conversation like she was like take down my number you know at least you have a resource i don't work with the little ones she works with the ones that are a little bit older right however like you have it in right you have someone that's there that can yeah. help guide you through because that's another thing these are this is a new system it's something you just don't know anything about Absolutely. and it's good to know have someone on the end right right so i definitely took her information down and i ended up going with that company and they did the evaluation um and and aside from that if you are just a regular mom that's looking for services the pediatrician provides you with this list i believe or? that's if i remember correctly i think the pediatrician yeah she provided a number to call to make the arrangements and then they provide the list of the agencies that are in the area that mm-hmm. or in your county that would do the do the, the evaluation okay so when they recommended him they recommended him for services they recommended that he receive speech um special instruction which all children get and that's pretty much it just speech and special instruction mm-hmm. um again ironically enough my neighbor across the way and I had coffee, and I was chatting away with her. I knew that she was a social worker, but I didn't know like what kind of what kind of social worker or what she did. She happened to work for the exact same agency. Wow! Like it's a small world. So when I told her that he was evaluated and that he qualified based on the evaluation, she was like, "Would you mind if I intervene and make sure that he got like the best of the best?" And I was like, "Um, of course not. Go right ahead." So she totally like put in a good you know, plugged in and made sure that he got, like, the best um, speech therapist that she had been told of all the therapists that they have, and she was assigned to his case. And she was wonderful. Mm-hmm. So she started working with him, and from the moment she... And now how old is Liam at this point? Liam is... He's two... He started in October. His birthday's in August. So he was just a few months into his twos. Okay. He's still two. Um... She started working with him, and she automatically noticed that there was sensory issues. He was doing a lot of crashing into the couch, crashing into pillows. And she worked with him at home, or you had in to the take house. him somewhere? The services were all in the house. Oh, that's nice. So she was noticing, based on how he was behaving, and the Like you said, crashing, crashing into the couch. and He was noticing, noticing sensory-seeking behavior. Okay. So, like, he's seeking input because he's feeling off. Oh, um, I just thought he was like playing with pillows. Of course, but you just think they're like trying to jump on the couch, or like well, kid doesn't like to jump on the couch, but he was, he was doing it intentionally. Oh. and so since she noticed that, she was like, he needs more than just speech, because what's causing the actual delay is this sensory issue. So when you have a sensory issue, you feel off. Okay. And because you feel off, you're, it's like you're not feeling well. Mm-hmm. So how can you give someone the attention to build language? And that's where the, that's where the problem lies. He can't give that dual attention to start building that language because he's off. And so in order to get him to build that, to get to the point where he can build language, we have to figure out how to regulate him, how okay. to get him, how to get him to feel comfortable in mm-hmm. his own skin, essentially, right? And now just going back to um, some of the basics of like sensory, like when I think sensory. From what I've learned as a mom, I think like playing with the sand, like getting them in the water, like um, having them feel like different types textures. of balls and textures. textures and that sort of thing. Um, is that what Liam kind of was not so, fully uh, developed in? So what happens is some children are are 
sensory sensitive mm-hmm. where like light bothers them or and things bother them, textures bother them. Um, and some children are sensory seeking where they're not getting enough input and they're seeking the input. Mm-hmm. So a lot of crashing, swinging, <laughs> swinging, crashing um, the can, knocking things over, knocking um, things over. So a lot of like crashing into pillows, jumping on pillows, jumping on the bed, jumping on trampolines, um, oh, swinging, okay. um, rocking. So more of like full bodily yes, movement, sensory sort of thing, not just like I'm playing with a little bit of like sand. But, and, 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 but some, that does come into play. And again, there are some children that are sensitive to certain textures mm-hmm. of things, like feeling wise, or even like eating because a lot of children that are on the spectrum have issues with textures which um, can be a nightmare when it comes to food because they will only like to eat say like i only like crunchy things and or i only like mushy things and i only mm-hmm. like liquidy things that makes it challenging in and of itself when you're trying to develop their diet and trying to develop and make sure that they're getting enough nutrition and they only are used only want one texture it's a very difficult thing okay thankfully liam did not have that Okay. He was just sensory seeking in that he wanted to like swing and jump and crash. Mm-hmm. So she put in the paperwork to re- request that he get occupational therapy. And aside, okay, so, and I just want to come now into a little bit more of like your, what your home life was with him. Because he was kind of seeking more of that sensory thing, like, how did you feel that you were able to kind of fill in that gap for him? Like, how, did you like seek out like a swing or like certain things that at the time no. like how were you handling some of his extra the needs the more and more conversations i had with his speech therapist well now the speech therapist would tell me she couldn't do speech like right she's like i can't do speech so what we can do is engage him through his play okay. so whatever he's playing with at the moment try to engage him in that play to try to get that dual um focus mm. where he's looking at you so like take he'd be playing with the cars right. try to get the car and like maybe put it on your head so he looks at the car and he looks at you and he's looking at something and, like he gets he's give, giving more okay, like focus he's following okay the the object around and so in the beginning it was a lot of kind of just figuring out how to engage him through what he was doing at the moment i see and that's what she was doing and then and teaching me what she was doing and showing what was working and then she would suggest things that she came across, like a swing. Um, she had seen a swing, like, on Walmart, like a $30 swing, mm-hmm. kind of like a little hammock, mm-hmm. and suggested that I get it and try it out and see if it works. And if it didn't, she would buy it off me to have it so that she could use it. Okay. Um, so what worked for Liam? The swing, that particular swing, it didn't work for him. Mm-hmm. What did work for him, and I didn't even think, like, when I got it, I just happened to get it. <laughs> it always happens this so way. So his bed, in his bedroom, he has a car bed, a twin car bed. And I got in this, like, it looks like a, I was going to use it as a night table, but it's a table that's shaped like two tires stacked on top of each other. Okay. And you open it, and you can put toys in there. And I got it to store toys. Liam loved climbing in it. Oh. And it helped, like... It was like his decompression chamber or something. It helps to regulate him by being in a tiny space. Okay, so, gotcha. No, that makes sense. Almost like, yeah, like he's in a little cocoon in there. Exactly. That helped. Um, also, jumping on the bed. Like, jumping on the bed, the pillows, that's... 
<laughs> that's his favorite thing to do and I would just let him do it right. but then another challenge that we had always had with him was sleep Liam always went to bed super late and I didn't know why I thought it was just like you know my sister doesn't like sleep she's an insomniac maybe she got that from him <laughs> But no, but part of it was because his brain is overactive and what happens is like he gets his second wind at eight o'clock, which is mostly going to sleep, right? Around mm. that time. So um, I had to learn through working with him and, and the therapist ways to try to mellow him out and tire mm. him out so that he'll go to bed at a more decent hour instead of 1030, which was what time he was going to bed. Or strap him in the car. Right. And take him for a ride because then again, you have that compression and the moving and that would settle him and put him to sleep that that's the yeah that's like the but you know like when you're tired and the last thing you want to do is like i have to drive so i could just drive this thing around until he goes to sleep. <laughs> I, just, I just want to go to sleep myself exactly um but at, a lot of the times i did do the driving around mm-hmm. um trying to do like little obstacle courses around the around the house to tire him out taking him for walks mm-hmm. um the thing with liam is it would work sometime. It would work in the beginning, and then like he would tapers off. Yeah. No, and then he would like develop. I guess like a what's it called when you um resistance. Yeah, resistance. <laughs> and then like, and then I'm a good on that. A tolerance to a it, tolerance. and then it, and and then it wouldn't work. So it like worked for like two days, and then going for walks with I did we did walks with rain boots because the rain boots are heavy, so like essentially and he liked that feeling of yeah. something heavy he didn't mind it right. so like i take him for a long walk with rain boots on to try to tire him out and in the beginning it worked for like a couple of days and then it stopped working mm-hmm. because then he was just like okay yeah let's go let's go walk with rain boots on i'm i'm game i got all this energy <laughs> let's let's do this i tried the vest on top of the rain boots like the weighted vest oh that's interesting um, again, worked once or twice, and then it didn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. So it was always with so him. You it was found like a whole trial and everything. It would work, and that it is doesn't work. Absolutely motherhood. Um, trying different yeah. supplements to see if maybe it's the fact that maybe he's lacking things in his diet. One of his previous now, did you do a lot of research, or did a lot of a lot of direction? From a lot of research, or um, speaking to people that had a little more experience or had been. Um, worked with children or had children that were um, Mm -hmm. on the spectrum. Now, at this time, I still had no idea whether or not Liam was on the spectrum or what. I know that there was, he definitely had some sort of sensory issue. Okay. Definitely saw that. Um, And the speech therapist had recommend that we put him on the list to get him to see a pediatric nutrition, which there's always a long um, what's it called? A developmental pediatrician, because there's always a long wait, which six months to a year before you can actually see the mm-hmm. see a, the doctor. Also, she recommended a pediatric neurologist, and I found a good one, who could take us like fairly within a, like about six months or less. The neurologist. Summer. Yeah. Okay. So we ended up having him evaluated, or going to a pediatric nutritionist pediatric neurologist I'm sorry <laughs> pediatric neurologist, neurologist um the following summer mm-hmm. and um they were the ones that gave him the diagnosis that he had autism and when I finally was given the diagnosis I mean I had been 
speculating it. And at this point, like I had done a lot of research and had a little more of an understanding, but it still hits you like a ton of bricks because you just don't know what does this mean now. You're doing all of the things you're trying to do to get them back to catch mm-hmm. up essentially and hopefully be able to um, have an, and live a somewhat normal life but um, you don't know because you don't know like okay if he's on the spectrum what part of the spectrum is he on is it severe is it mild is it somewhere in the middle we don't know so, so that neurologist isn't able to tell you to that information just yet like I what did the neurologist examine so the neurologist based it on her examination of like watching how he operated gotcha and a lot of the folks that said that they had suspected that that was the case there was arms frailing that he would do and there was a certain things the way he he would operate that were indicative of a child that's on the spectrum that they know because they've seen them right. normal people wouldn't normal everyday people wouldn't pick up on him mm-hmm. um so when I was told, it definitely hit me like a ton of bricks, even though like I was expecting tops to get it. But once you do get the diagnosis, it opens up a lot of doors. Because prior to... Did you know that? Mm-mm. Okay. Prior to getting diagnosis, you're literally... You're just trying to... You're just trying to get services for your kid. Right. And they're like, well, but he's, like, he's, he's normal. Like he doesn't really... He doesn't need that. And you get a lot of red tape. Like, no, it's fine. He's fine. He's fine. And a lot of it is always always comes down to a money thing. Like the district or the um, county doesn't want to give up the money for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. They're able to if they just if everyone that gets evaluated and that has a delay gets speech, everyone got something. As opposed to if it's I see that it's evident that this child needs more than speech, but I don't want to allocate those resources until you ask for them or until you realize that that kid needs them, which is not really fair. But that's kind of what I've learned was what was happening. So um, everyone that is basically given the actual diagnosis of autism only receives speech. No. Once you get the diagnosis, all doors open up to you. I'm saying when oh, you have a developmental that. delay. Oh, okay. Got when it. you're evaluated and there's definitely a developmental delay, those folks that are doing the evaluations, they are aware of the... They're aware of what sort of... Um, therapies that child needs like yes it's speech but we are seeing a sensory processing del- mm-hmm. um, issue here we are seeing because they, they come and they come to your house and they evaluate the kid in his environment and they see how right. he is right so especially if that's your area of expertise they see it but they don't automatically put it down in the report mm. automatically they would give speech because there is a significant speech delay and yes you need speech but Unless you have someone, again, that's on the in and that's looking out for you and that has the kid's actual progression in, in their headspace, like they want that kid to get better, a lot of people just do what they do just for a paycheck, right? right? They don't right. care. And then, so you have like a lot of this, let's say red tape, where if you don't know better, you can go through, because he only gets the services until he's three. Mm-hmm. And then if not, then you're asked out. You have to either, the, the district won't take him on because he has no record of having services. And then you have to go private where you have to pay for the services which are expensive. Even if, even if, if I go back to what happened with Liam, she put in the paperwork in October 
for him to get occupational therapy, which was the crucial part of his of his getting him back on the right path, right? Yeah. That was the, the number one piece. And they didn't grant him or um, the OT until February. So for all that time, he wasn't getting... So- getting what a couple he of months yeah so but for a child that's november december january february that's three four months right and he didn't get the ot that he needed and then when they finally did give it to him it was only once a week for 30 minutes mm-hmm. and in a sensory gym which honestly didn't cut it for him because one it's the most crucial part of what he needs to get we need to get him regulated in order to be build a speech we can't do the speech until we actually work on this right. issue we're not working on this issue if we're only allocating 30 minutes a week that's nothing no and in a sensory gym they have all of these all this equipment which is wonderful but do you have that at home <laughs> how do i reciprocate what you're doing in the gym right. at home mm-hmm. and then there's the other part of it it's sensory overload there's so many things okay so I did not find that have him, having him go to a sensory gym setting was beneficial to him. Mm-hmm. I did start, based on the recommendation of the speech therapist, I did start paying a woman to do, um, to start doing some occupational therapy with him once a week mm-hmm. for 45 minutes a week to get him on the right path because they're like dragging their feet about getting him on the right path and getting him the OT, but he needs it. and. I mean, it was an added expense, but it felt like it was necessary. And then um, after, I think in like March or April, they had, the, they had him, it's like the six-month like checkup, essentially, where we sit there and we, all of the therapists and everyone get on a call, and everyone basically has their report. And he's how old at this point? What, two and a half? Two and a half, okay. And they basically all give their findings of his progress or lack thereof what, mm-hmm. and what they think he needs. Now, the speech therapist had said that she wanted to recommend that he get more, like they increase the volume of the OT, which was definite, definitely needed, mm-hmm. to also request that the OT be in-house as opposed to in a sensory gym setting. Okay. And also... Um, and OT stands for... Just oc- occupational therapy. Okay. Occupational therapy. And then also to have him evaluated for physical therapy. Mm-hmm. Because what Liam was doing, he was W sitting. W sitting is when you sit. You sit like on your knees. Yes, right. with your legs out. Right. Which isn't terrible, but when you're constantly sitting like that, it's not allowing you to properly develop. And it's not allowing you to properly develop your core. Okay. If you're not properly developing your core, you're causing other problems. We had that whole conversation on the core. <laughs> yeah. so How important the core is when they're little. I mean, it's important all the time. It's important right. for adults <laughs> as well. And a lot of a lot of issues that adults have is actually related to having a weak core and not like a knee, a knee you issue. You are so or right, Michelle. Oh my but, God, you're so right. But like Michelle and I had a conversation how even when we're first-time moms, they tell you, you hear all these things thrown around of, like, what's important for a child to, like, be able to learn how to walk. And so they tell you, like... Tummy time. Tummy time. and But they don't tell you exactly why... Tummy time is important. Exactly. And, and tummy time is important because you're developing their core. 
we didn't know that. We had no idea. What, I was I like, oh, know. tummy time. They're picking up their head. Like, they're like, oh, developing yeah. their neck. Like, you just thought it was know. a necessary thing to get them to, like, roll over and, like, pick themselves yes. up and start crawling. You didn't realize what it was. They were actually, why they, they need to develop that tummy time. Yes. Why tummy time is important. And the only reason that I was even put onto that or how, because my daughter, she, she was, um, she actually started to walk a little sooner or even crawl a little sooner than my son. So for my son, we actually had someone come in and evaluate him because he wasn't, uh, crawling and he seemed to be a little delayed. And when you have a direct comparison to us, like there's there's twins sibling, you, become concerned. So basically I did have someone come in as well that um, gave him some therapy and just literally what he, all the exercises he was showing me was how to develop his core. And I was just like, oh, like it all clicked. Whereas like before I didn't understand why we're doing tummy time or it was never fully explained to me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So what I was noticing with Liam, in addition to the fact that he was doubly sitting, like he couldn't, stand on one leg so when you're going up the stairs you're standing you're going from standing on one leg standing on another leg if he mm-hmm. didn't have something to hold on to he couldn't walk up those stairs if he wasn't holding on to a hand or holding on to like a railing right. he was having trouble going up the stairs and there were other things that the OT that was working with him that I was paying for was noticing issues he needs physical therapy as well um, mm-hmm. the County likes to cut corners, and so what they did when we suggested that we have him evaluated for PT because we had mentioned it a couple of times, they're like, "Oh no, the 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 OT can work on it." Mm. Occupational therapy and physical therapy are two totally different fields. Yeah, there is some overlap, yes, but when you only have a half an hour session to work with a kid to work on developing their occupational therapy, the occupational therapy things. You can't be working on the physical therapy things. They're two totally different things. You only have a half an hour. You can't do that all. So um, so when you say the county, did you have like someone assigned to your case? Or like is that no, how it so works? The, so who gave you the red the tape? Program, oh, the program. The program he was in from the company, the agency we were working with, they kept saying no to a PT evaluation, which was so frustrating because we're not asking for a, P, a, a physical therapist. We're asking for him to be evaluated right. and then let the evaluation speak for itself. If the evaluator believes that he does require the added services, then we go that route. Then, mm-hmm. we, then we cross that bridge when we get there. They were putting up the red flag, no, he doesn't need to be evaluated, which was super frustrating because he did need it. W sitting is not enough because it wasn't just W sitting. It was W sitting and a weak core. Right. All of these things combined line of development where you should be you keep getting further and further away from mm-hmm. and the more and more you develop the more and more other problems start or, or, if, or they're create, if they're yeah. not addressed because your alignment keeps getting the alignment just keeps getting further and further from where it should be so you're creating other problems and you're so saying you the alignment to, of his body pretty much right exactly so you want to address it as soon as possible they kept saying no but at the time we were also getting ready to start doing the paperwork to transition him over to the district because he was about to age out of early intervention anyway. So since they said no, we were like, fine, you can say no, but when I have him evaluated by the district, I'm going to ask them to do the PT evaluation, and they will. 
Okay. So after that meeting, which was a very frustrating meeting because none of the occupational therapists that had worked with Liam were on the call. That doesn't make any sense. And they were like, they weren't available. <laughs> They're a critical part. Exactly. That infuriated me. It's like the critical part to his development. Right. It's the critical part of him, of his everything. Why are they not there? Oh, they weren't available. Well, here's a shocker. Why don't we reschedule the meeting for when they are? Yeah. <laughs> so then you had the speech therapist making the recommendation that the OT was supposed to be making, but the OT wasn't there to back her up. So they were kind of like, well, you do, you do speech. Like, what do you know about that? Right. So it was kind of like, it was very frustrating. Mm. However, we were all pretty like, pretty much on the same page between the speech therapist, myself, and the special instruct, special instructions therapist. They all were in agreement that he needed more OT. So they agreed to increase the frequency, mm-hmm. and they agreed to transition him over to in-house services. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Even though they claimed that it was a very long line and a very long list, and there were people waiting on the list for yeah. a while. But I didn't care. I just want put them on the list, and we'll figure out that. Again, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Just put them on the list. And is that how a lot of these... I mean, I'm sure even with dealing with the district and the system, like, it's almost like we'll cross that bridge when it, when we get there yeah, sometimes. Yeah, like a lot like of them, like, just... they put the, what is it, they put the cart, the horse before the cart. Mm-hmm. They were doing a lot of that, like, we're not there yet. Why are we doing that? Let's just, let's just, like, for example, let's just get the evaluation and then see what happens. Yeah. So when they agreed that they would increase the frequency and they would allow him to get therapies in the house, and I hung up on that call, I was so upset Every family gets assigned a family counselor. Yeah. And she was wonderful. She wasn't on the call. I called her, and I was just, like, livid. I was like, I can't believe they didn't have any of the occupational therapists on the call. Like, that's the most critical part. Like, blah, blah. Yeah. And I just, like, forget it. I was just going off. And she was like, don't you worry, Michelle. I'm going to make a call. I think I know someone that might be able to take on his case. And oh. within a half an hour... She had gotten another woman to take on Liam's case, which was wonderful. And um, once Liam started working with this particular occupational therapist, it was like night, night and day. day. Night and day. We were seeing like we were seeing progress. Don't get me wrong with all of the other things that we were doing. Mm-hmm. However, the connection that he made with that particular therapist was what he needed. He was able to just work so much better, and we were seeing so much more. Like, the eye contact kept getting better. Everything everything just kept progressing. progressing. One, we had an increase in the frequency. I was still working with the other with the other therapist, so she was getting a lot more OT. So, and this is all still stuff that's being done at home, in addition to you having him at school. Yeah, so he was in, at the time, he was in um, daycare. Mm-hmm. So yes, this was, he was going to daycare, so we were paying for daycare. And then he was coming home and then having his therapies, whatever day of the week, certain therapies, certain days. He had two, two, what was it, two speech therapies a week, mm-hmm. two was in um, special instructions, and then, what was that, three occupational therapy sessions a week. Okay. Because it was a woman I was seeing privately. And then, and then, then pain. Yeah. Um, but all combined... 
it all helped to get him where he needed, where he, he was definitely, it was like on the right path. Like we were, we were all working to get there and he was doing so well. We were seeing a lot of progress, especially once we started working with the new old team. Then that summer, he, it was when he was given the diagnosis and once they gave him the diagnosis, it was like, well, now you can't say. Right. Now you can't say he doesn't qualify because he has a diagnosis. Right. So um, that opened up a lot of doors. Um, with getting him into a program because we wanted to get him in a program to a program setting which what it does is it's working they're getting their therapies while they're in school so okay. it's two parts they're teaching them how to how to behave and and get by in a classroom setting mm-hmm. and how to engage and have what happens and have an understanding of of how a classroom setting works yeah in addition to the fact that they're receiving the services in that environment as well so they're being taken out of the class they're getting whatever the therapy is and they're coming back so there's a lot of things happening at the same time mm-hmm. but it's helping to get them where they need to get so he qualified for a program which meant no more having to pay for daycare <laughs> and the program was specifically for like um, and it's it's specifically for children that have learning disabilities and or developmental delays okay. significant enough that they require therapies Okay. Um, when he started the program, they, they assigned him a, a one-to-one because he doesn't speak. So, and his speak was... What is that, one-to-one? A one-to-one is literally having a person that's with you. Oh, throughout the day. Throughout the day. Because one of the biggest challenges with, with Liam was transitioning from one task to another. From, okay. From a prefer, preferred task to a non-preferred task. Doesn't want to do it. Doesn't want to do it. Yeah, so how do you get into that? And then... And then you you can't communicate. So trying to like understand where he's coming from, he can't communicate that he doesn't want to. He just you, you can show you don't want to do it. You throw himself on the floor and have a whole little fit. And you want to prevent those fits from happening. So those fits happen because they don't know how to communicate their wants and needs. Right. So working with getting him to transition from one task to another. So a lot in the beginning there was a lot of like having a um, an object that he was playing with or an object to help him transition. It was like a transitional toy, mm. like a car or a whale or whatever to help him get from point A to point B. And eventually he just he doesn't, he doesn't need it anymore. Like point A from point B meaning like a task or even like going to a place, like mm-hmm. point A to point B, like all different types of transitions with exactly. kids. Because that's the biggest problem with him was transitioning in general. Mm-hmm. So he, when he was in the daycare. So how was it when you were like getting him ready to go to school? Like even transitioning him to get ready. It was it was fine getting him ready. Like I, I, I got him into a system where it was fine. It was okay. no big deal. So you felt like it was it had to be a little bit more like a system. Mm-hmm. That um, is kids. <laughs> when he was in the daycare, now the daycare didn't have any of the services. And didn't have any like specialized folks on on the staff, oh. um, and they were starting to give me a hard time with like he can't be in general ed. We don't have the services. We can't give him what he needs. He wanders too much. He doesn't transition well. Mm. Like that, basically trying to say like you the, can't have him. So here. the schools will also sometimes the daycare. The daycare will. You can also probably even get feedback from them on how. Yeah, the te- his teachers that he had at the time, they were wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, but the director of the school was all about, like, moving the kids. 
keep moving them up and moving them up. And okay. what she had done he was in the ready. next class and he wasn't ready. Because the mm. the older they get, the more structured it is. Because right. they're transitioning and training them as well to, like, again, adapt. What's and be able crazy to is the a, fact that you, like, I mean, as a mom, I don't know. I just feel like sometimes I'm still oblivious to certain things. But, like, they have to also even learn how to be in a structured environment. Exactly. And to learn how to be like you said, um, in a school or like that sort of environment where it's like very structured. Mm-hmm. Kids don't know all of that. They have to really They, they, they have taught. to transition. They have to learn. They have to learn how to deal with and how to navigate those waters and how to be okay with structure. Yeah. So they, in the daycares, like they, or in the daycares specifically, they were trying, they, as, as they got older, the things started getting a little more structured and they were being, they were doing a lot more tasks and a lot more projects. And mm-hmm. Liam was in a program where it was too structured for him and he wouldn't. Mm-hmm. He, oh, he, he could not, um, he could not operate in that space because he just didn't transition well. And now how old is Liam now? Liam is three and a half. He's three and a half. And now he's at the... In um, the program. In the program that's more specific for his needs. And if there's any tips that you could give moms for someone that has... Their child that has been diagnosed with autistic at three and a half, what would it be? So I think a lot of people have, or some folks have the misconception of the snap out of it or they they're always comparing that kid to a um a child that doesn't have autism Mm -hmm. and you shouldn't just you have the kid that you have Mm -hmm. and you need to go their pace literally get down to their level and engage them in what they're doing at that time okay whatever it is you really want to get as much engagement out of them as possible you literally you could look like a crazy person, but you want to engage them and get the most that you can out of them by that one-on-one engagement with that with the kid. Mm-hmm. Because I know that with my son, I get a lot of engagement out of him. He has made such such huge improvements. His language is definitely developing. He does a lot more things. He's very much into music and 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 picking up on the things that they're into. He thrives with music. So since he thrives with music, I put him in music class. Like I, he, he can play all the instruments he wants. Like I want to see him thrive, and I want to learn and, and see what 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 are the things that motivate him. What are the things he likes? Exactly. You have to really. So even like, like picking the brain of these people that are working with him, also to have their help. Like okay, what is, does he seem to gravitate towards? You know, so you can foster that skill in mm-hmm. in him, and and always and utilize find, that as a way. When you find someone that. Um, works mm-hmm. that there's a huge connection try to do what you can to keep that person so I kept that occupational therapist I kept her on like I started paying her private and I kept her on and he still sees her once a week to help because he just does so well with her right so on top of working with her he has all the services that he receives in the program while he's in school but he's doing so well and then she can also is it also sees his progress because she knows where he started right and and sees the development where he's going like she has like firsthand knowledge mm-hmm. and it's her it's her area of, of it's like her field and then she can also make recommendations like okay you know we should try maybe you know maybe try this technique or maybe when you're trying to get him to do this do this 
maybe do that like give you pointers along the way which is huge absolutely so yeah so definitely sounds like fostering the relationship that you have with the people that are in his team that are working along with him and picking their brain to see what are things that he's gravitating towards michelle i just want to tell you that like i remember when you told me the news of liam being autistic or being diagnosed autistic and i felt like you were gonna like i i felt like your reaction you were just so like okay they gave him the diagnosis like i started i'm researching i'm looking at this person to talk to and talking to that person and i was just so like in awe of how you handled it and it really says a lot about you as a mom as a person and the fact that you have been great in fostering and finding his skills and 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 getting him along with progressing so i just want to give you kudos as a mom thank you <laughs> i mean it, it it is hard like i do have i, I want to say like for me i've always had a strong character and a strong and i don't i'm not easily frazzled mm-hmm. i don't I, I like well, to say I that, learned I operate, that I operate great in chaos, is yeah. what I like to say. And so I'm really good at taking on these things where a lot of people aren't. But there yeah. are so many resources, there are so many groups for those people that don't have the support mm-hmm. or um, need more support. Yeah. There's so many resources, so many groups that you can find. And, um, and then you could find like-minded folks that are in similar situations that are in, say, your county or your town yeah. that might have... You might meet another family that has been a similar situation as you, and that helps. It helps to have that support system. Yes. Um, exactly, yeah. and making them part of the community. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much, Michelle, for sharing your story. And um, we are going to, I'm sure, have another podcast to check in on his progress and see how everything's continuing with him. Uh, little Liam is the most cutest thing. <laughs> and you are doing such a great job. Thank you. So thank you all for listening. Ciao, ciao. Besitos.